this is Pull Yourself Together with E. Shaver Booksellers. Hello, I'm Jessica, a lifelong lover of books, wide-ranging reader, fan of obscure British literature, all things Douglas Adams, long sentences, music biographies, the Oxford comma, always up for travel, except during COVID, and of course, Jane Austen. And I'm Melissa, an eclectic bibliophile and all-around nerd who also loves Jane Austen, comics, and cooking. Together, we run an independent bookstore in Savannah, Georgia. Each episode, we discuss the books we've been reading and recommend. Well, hello there, everybody. Hi. Jessica and I are back after our Ruth Ware adventures. <laughs> yes, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. It's been all Ruth Ware all the time. Yeah, so um, we actually had a complete blast talking to her for the Savannah Book Festival. Um, she's just delightful and very British. Um, <laughs> yeah, she was wonderful. She is somebody you would want to hang out with. Absolutely. Um, I, I would like to have a drink and make bad life choices with her. I, yes, indeed, I would. Um, if you if you want to see Melissa and I talking to Ruth Ware, you can go to the Savannah Book Festival's website. Yeah, it's um, savannahbookfestival.org. And it th- will be up for about two or three months, and you can view it for free. Yeah, there is no charge. Um, and it was a super fun discussion. So, you it, should And there are no spoilers out. in it. Nope. She is very, she is very, very good, good about, about not spoiling anything. Yes. Um, but it really was delightful talking to her. And, yeah. Hopefully, maybe she'll come to Savannah. Yeah. She expressed interest in visiting us in person, so here's hoping. And there is a cameo at one point by her really cute cat. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. But um, one of the books that we talked about with her, it's it's her latest book, and it's called One by One. And um, I think Jessica and I both agree that of her books it's probably the best in terms of like character development and really just I no absolutely storytelling I I think I didn't mind um so if you didn't listen to our podcast last time when shame on you talked about (laughs) Ruth Ware Ruth Ware is the writer of creepy books uh in a dark dark wood turn of the key um the woman in cabin 10 the death of Mrs. Westaway there's one more there is certainly the lying game, the <laughs> lying game. That's right. The lying game. And her most recent one by one that just went to paperback and one by one. So in several of her books, the characters are impaired in some way. They spend a lot of time making they're exquisitely bad life choices. They're unreliable. They're unreliable narrators for one one reason or another but mm-hmm. in this there was not really there were surprises and things you found out about the characters but it wasn't um you weren't in somebody's head who was drunk the whole time or who was making I mean granted one of the characters that was narrating may not have been making the best life choices <laughs> Um, but this but. was her first time doing a dual narrative, like mm-hmm. going switching back and forth between narrators. And she, in her interview, was talking about being really nervous about doing that, that she didn't really think that she could do that. But it really... It worked. Yeah, it really helped tell the story. It did, because you got to see people from two different points of view. And so the characters, I think, felt more fleshed out because you just weren't seeing them through one person's eyes. You were seeing them through two people's eyes. Yeah. And so the the crux of this one um, 
is in typical Ruth Ware style. Yes. She takes a group of people and puts them in a um, secluded location. Mm-hmm. In this book, it's a group of co-workers um, of a startup tech company called Snoop. Snoop. Um, so they are going on a corporate retreat, I guess, basically, to talk about this stock buyout offer that whether, they have. Whether ultimately they want to go public and stay as the group they are or whether they want to take a buyout offer that's been made. And so they, um, the company is in England, and they go to a... Um, Alpine ski resort. Yeah, an Alpine ski resort in the French Alps. Mm-hmm. And so there's, um, there's if you're a skier, there's a lot of interesting skiing talk. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're not a skier, it's fine. There's plenty of talk. It's still interesting skiing talk. It is. <laughs> it's still interesting skiing talk. And then the other two characters are the delightful Danny, mm-hmm. who is one of my favorite Ruth Ware characters, I think. Yeah. He's the chef at the chalet that they're renting. Mm-hmm. And then there's Erin, who is basically the hostess of the chalet that they're renting. And she takes them out like skiing and is a ski guide, um, but basically is there yes. to just see to their needs make um, sure meals are served on time make sure that the chalet runs smoothly that everybody has everything they want or need and this is not anyway a spoiler because it happens very early on in the mm-hmm. book and if you look at the cover of the book you can kind of tell that that's what's going on there's an avalanche so they really are stuck together in this chalet so yes group of people secluded location no way out Yes, and, and then the murderies start happening, <laughs> and then and then it gets a little murdery. So think <laughs> Agatha Christie's, um, and then there were none, and then w- there were none. Yes, yeah. um, so there's the tension builds throughout, yeah. and um, it actually, without it won't be spoiled. The the who done it of it is revealed, sort of not all the way at the end of the book. So you have time to kind of see the aftermath of everything, which is interesting, I mm-hmm. found. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a, a John Hughes film, except... I, <laughs> I think she does that in her books fairly often, though. Mm-hmm. Like, I think she reveals she does. who does it, like, I want to say about 60% of the way through. Mm-hmm. And then you have the rest of the book to kind of understand the why of it and sort of the tension of... What's going to happen to all these people that we now are invested in their yeah. lives after they try to go back to their regular world yeah um yeah I think she does it for people like me who will go to the ending so that they because they can't stand the tension (laughs) that's right she knows that there are cheaters in this world (laughs) she's like haha (laughs) foiled again Jessica Mm -hmm. so so yes that is one thing that we've been focusing on and now Melissa has read a multitude of other things yes well in keeping on that sort of um thriller milieu um I've mentioned before that <laughs> we're I, into murder these days. Yeah, love me some murder. I've I've mentioned before that I have this postal book club, um, mm-hmm. and so the selection that I got this time from one of the people in my postal book club is called "When No One Is Watching" by Alyssa Cole. Mm-hmm. Um, so Jessica and I actually watched a Harper Collins author event and saw Alyssa talking about this book, like right. At like at the beginning of the pandemic, mm-hmm. it's been a while. Well, that seems like it was fifty years ago. So. It's true. Um, <laughs> back in the the old days. Um, but anyway, pre-pandemic. Um, this has kind of been on my radar since then, so I was excited that she picked it. Um, I wasn't really familiar with Alyssa Cole prior to this book, but she's written 
a bunch of stuff, mostly romance and like kind of rom-com sort of mm-hmm. stuff and it's not really my my normal you thing you say that like it's a bad thing no it, it, no no <laughs> i'm not i'm not judging like if that's your if that's your fluff like go for it like that's totally your thing um but but i just, it's just not what i normally read um but this one it was her first uh foray into kind of a thriller um mm-hmm. and so it starts with um the main character well so it has a dual narrative so there's the main character Sydney who um is a black woman who has come back to Brooklyn um Mm -hmm. to be with her mom because her mom's gotten sick you and I have just I feel like I've read this book because we've been talking about it it, yeah (laughs) so she comes back to Brooklyn because her mom is sick and she's gone through this kind of really terrible divorce where she Mm -hmm. was living out in Seattle um and she realizes that her neighborhood is changing and it's becoming gentrified. Mm-hmm. Um, and she goes on this, she wants to reacquaint herself with her neighborhood. So she goes on this like historical tour of the neighborhood and it's done by a white woman. And she's talking about all of these white people in the neighborhood. And, mm-hmm. and she's angry because it's a historically black neighborhood. There are a lot of important black people that lived in this neighborhood and still do live in this neighborhood and so oh wait l- let me guess but the tour she goes on doesn't mention any of those no people. no none of them and she even interrupts and is like well actually this person lived in this house and she in the tour guide is like eh, and just keeps going um <laughs> so so she's angry about the changes that are happening in her in her neighborhood and her neighbors being basically pushed out of their houses um mm-hmm. so the other narrator is theo and Theo was actually on the same tour, but he and his girlfriend are a couple who have bought one of the houses. Okay, and are they are they African American no, or are they white? white? Okay, um, and so it it's a thriller that tackles the issues of racism and gentrification, um, and reading it like. Um, you know, there's an interaction between Sydney and Theo's girlfriend in like the like community bodega, mm-hmm. like where she like the girlfriend just cuts in front of her in line, and Sydney is angry about mm-hmm. it and calls her on it, and she's like, "Oh, well, I didn't see you," and she's like, "Well, I'm telling you, you cut in front of me in line," and she's mm-hmm. like, "Why are you threatening me? Don't make me video this. I'll call the police." And so, you know, it's yeah. all the things we're seeing happening in our world today, like, were it, ha- are happening are in happening this in this book. Um, so, at one at the kind of the height of it, um, they know like she notices that people are supposedly moving out of this neighborhood mm-hmm. that would never have sold their house and with no notice. Like the the guy who's basically the mayor of this neighborhood mm-hmm. who organizes all the block parties and is always out walking his dog and talking to everybody just disappears. Nobody knows he's left. And, and this couple moves into his house and says, oh, no, he sold his house and he went to go oh. live in Florida and no one ever hears from him again. Interesting. Um, also coming into the neighborhood is this drug rehab sort of campus for people who are um, hooked on opioids and it's mm-hmm. going in place of this old um, hospital that was in the neighborhood. Okay. Um, and so 
So does the neighborhood want this? No, no, no. nobody's excited about that. Um, they actually are are pretty vocally Not in my backyard. It. Yeah, well, um, from the standpoint of um, a lot of them have the perspective that when people were being hooked on crack, mm-hmm. a lot of people said that that's your problem then. And now that the opioid crisis is affecting white people mm-hmm. that we're going to build this high class drug rehab facility in a predominantly black neighborhood and basically just wipe your face in it you know yeah yeah it's an interesting it's interesting i mean there's a lot we could talk about with that that yeah. whole um idea i yeah the, because i always think of or opioids are something that are prescribed to you by your doctor whereas crack is something you buy in the street yeah so but nobody wants nobody wants addicts in their neighborhood period whether you're well and gentrifying s- or not and well yeah. and so then it's complicated so, so yeah so there's that there's that sta- there's that part of it there's that coming in there's the realty company that's being very aggressive trying mm-hmm. to get people to sell their houses so there's that part of it Um, And then there's the people kind of just disappearing. There's an incident where a local teenager who's just a good kid is arrested for supposedly selling drugs. No one else is around. And the cops that arrested him forgot, I'm using air quotes, to Mm -hmm. turn on their body cams during the arrest. Um, So there's a lot of shady things happening. so I'm, I'm not going to say anything more about it because... But it does, from what I recall, without spoiling it, it comes to a rather abrupt and dramatic conclusion, doesn't it? Yeah, it's very, very backloaded in terms of action. So, mm-hmm. like, there's a long buildup mm-hmm. to what happens. Um, and I think what happens um, is maybe it ra- i i think because she leaves it so long till the end it has about like 40 pages to wrap all of this up and it's a little so rushed maybe a um it's a debut correct well it's a it's a, a debut first into this thriller genre yeah so kind of like a modern social justice thriller yeah yeah okay. um uh, there was actually i learned a I lot about gentrification yes. through reading this book um and there were lots of moments when it made me really angry yes. <laughs> um, from the things that were going on so mm-hmm. it's a good read from that perspective um but it, the pacing is a little off mm-hmm. so. yes well our social justice book club just finished reading evicted which mm-hmm. we read for a non-fiction cocktail book club that we had way way Uh, back in the day eons ago Mm -hmm. (laughs) so if you are interested in social justice and housing and neighborhoods um if you read this evicted is a good one to jump into that's nonfiction too that kind of explains how hard it is to be poor Mm -hmm. and um the advantage that people will take of you um All right, so for something completely different, Mm -hmm. I have started reading a book that Melissa and I have been eyeing for a while now Mm -hmm. uh, called Mary Jane. Mm -hmm. Um, It's by Jessica Anna B-L-A-U, Blau, Blau, Blue. Um, So it takes place, the action takes place in 1975. The main character is a 12-year-old to 13-year-old girl who is babysitting for a family. 
um, in her neighborhood. She is a summer nanny. Um, so Mary Jane is an only child. It's as young to be a nanny. Well, I mean, it was the 70s. It, it was, was a different s- time. <laughs> yeah. Um, she may be... Uh, no, she's 14 years old. Okay, she's still 14. still seems young to be well, a nanny. Well, I can tell you from my... So a couple of things I really appreciate about, about this book, without even going into the story or the get-go, is her descriptions of being a 14-year-old right around that time. And in 1975, I was 9, 10 years old. So I was a little bit younger than the main character. But it still captures very well mm-hmm. sort of what it was to be um, a tween, more or less, in 1975. Okay. Um, so it's an upper-class neighborhood in Baltimore where the action takes place. Uh, Mary Jane is an only child. Her father's a lawyer. Her mother is a um, what we would now say is a stay-at-home mom, but a housewife. And she takes her housewifing very, very <laughs> seriously. All their meals are planned out each week. The grocery shopping is done once a week. Mary Jane has to do chores and help her mother with all of her planning. If her mother isn't cooking dinner or cleaning the house or mopping the kitchen floor, which she does every single night, um, then she is planning out her Sunday school lesson that she's going to teach or she's working on a needlepoint pillow for the couch in the den. Everything is very specific. Mm -hmm. Her father is basically there but absent. He doesn't say a lot. He loves the president. He says the prayer before every meal and basically just doesn't really even talk to them during dinner for the most part. He goes to the country club on the weekends and he plays golf. All right. Um, But they do eat dinner together every night. Mary Jane's closer to her mom, um, who also takes part. Their house is perfect and immaculate. Their window box is out in the front. Um, She's even had a picture of the house painted and comments to Mary Jane at one point, we have to live up to the picture. Ew. So, <laughs> so Mary Jane's mom, she's a little uptight. Um, I would say that they would have been pro-Nixon folk. She probably needs a quaalude. <laughs> or some, some actual Mary Jane, yes. So um, Mary Jane sings in the choir at her Presbyterian church, and she also sings with her mom during Sunday school. Her mom plays the guitar, and she plays the guitar a little bit, and she loves harmonizing and show tunes, and she's just kind of a happy child. I mean, she's not rebellious or confrontational. (laughs) Is she the female version of the boy in About a Boy? (laughs) No, she's not. She has friends. She's not one of the most popular girls, but she's not an outcast in any way. She's just kind of an only child, which I get. I was an only child during that time. Um... So she gets this job. Her friends are going to spend the night camp. She doesn't want to go to spend the night camp because she went once and she hated it. I feel that. And she doesn't (laughs) want to spend the summer at the country club pool because she just feels out of place there kind of. And she doesn't want to spend the summer just doing her mom's chores. So she gets this job as the summer nanny for this exotic family, the Coens. How are they exotic? Well, first of all, they're Jewish. Oh, my. Yes. And... Uh, he's a doctor, Dr. Cohn, and his wife. And so she goes over to their house on her first day, and the house is like the antithesis of her house. It's the complete opposite. They have kind of hip furniture. Dr. Cohen has lamb chop sideburns and longer hair. Mrs. Cohen does not wear a bra. Hmm. 
Um, and Mary Jane is like, ooh, what is all of this? <laughs> Izzy, like, doesn't eat regular meals. Their house is a wreck. It's totally unorganized and a disaster. And Mary Jane just kind of comes into all this chaos and starts figuring it out. So she learns that there are different ways to live and different ways to be a family, but she also brings some of her organizational skills and, like, you know, your child should eat dinner every night and have a bath um, into their household. Okay. So um, I haven't gotten to the end of it, and I don't want to spoil it, but this happens in the very beginning. So after she's been there for a day or so, they approach her and they say, we're having guests this summer. It's top secret. Dr. Cohen treats addicts and addiction, and there's a very famous rock star and his very famous wife who will be staying with us, and you can't tell anyone. Can you agree to this? And she does. Um, and so the couple shows up, and the woman is a very sort of share-like character. She's called Sheba. And she has long, dark hair, and she's a star of a variety show. Mm -hmm. And um, her husband is a rock star and a very famous rock star. And I would say he's kind of a – his name is Jimmy, but he's kind of a Greg Allman type of guy. Um, he's in a band. He grew up poor, um, I think, in Oklahoma. And um, he – is very charismatic and brilliant and talented and genius-like, but also, you know, is just coming off being hooked on heroin. Sure. So, so the story goes from there. And um, there's some drama in it. It's all told from the point of view of Mary Jane. Um, Mary Jane does start kind of changing a little bit and loves being a part of this family. Um, but... She also learns that, you know, she has to deceive her mother for this all to happen and work out. And um, I've read some reviews where they say it's unrealistic that her family would know so little about this other family. But I can tell you, having grown up in this time, that my mother never set foot in some of my friends' houses. If she wasn't friends with their mother, I mean, she would occasionally talk to them on the phone to arrange things. Or she would pick me up at the end of their driveway. Yeah. But she never went in their homes. Well, even when I was a kid, I was essentially feral for most of the summer. Like, yeah. we just did went. our thing. Like, and and for the most part, like, my mom may have had kind of passing conversations sometimes with our friend's parents. But, yeah, like, you, they, they didn't really know each other and they didn't spend any, No, you know, there was no, so what I think some of the people who are writing these reviews don't understand is there were no helicopter parents. Even if your mother was controlling, as long as you were clean and showed up to dinner on time and went to church with them on Sunday as you were supposed to. Yeah, it was a different they didn't, thing. They didn't go over to your friend's house. No. And you didn't meet in each other's houses. The only time you went to someone else's house was when you were invited, like as a kid, your mom didn't go with you. There were no play dates. Yeah, like, <laughs> I mean, the only time, like, I mean, during the summer, the only time we were at somebody's house, for sure, mm -hmm. is, like, if we, like, spent the night. Like, we were right. just free-ranging, like, outside and all over the place. Yes, we were the same. We had our bikes. We, yeah. you know, and we had, and this is one of the things in the book, there's a charge account at the around the corner grocery store mm -hmm. and so Mary Jane can go and buy food and snacks and other things there 
and just charge it to their number. And, and I had the same sort of situation. We just had an account at the grocery store around the corner, and you just charge it to the number. And, you know, if, if your parents got the bill at the end of the month and it was too high, you got in a lot of trouble and you weren't allowed to charge anything anymore. But, but there were you didn't have to carry money around it yeah. was more free ranging than it is now i mean we didn't have that and we did occasionally go to like a convenience store situation for candy or something mm-hmm. while we were out and about but most of the time we did a drive by at somebody's house for popsicles or right. you know whatever we needed right. yeah but we would um and we were at we were allowed to go to the store like my mom would send me to the store oh mm. gosh we need this or that will you go pick it up and she'd be very specific on the list and we would go and people would never do that now oh yeah well so we're the the neighborhood that I lived in when I was a kid like we were like up on top of this hill Mm -hmm. and the Kroger was down sort of at the bottom of the Mm -hmm. hill and you just cut through like yeah everybody crazy woods and brush and ended up at the Kroger's and you know so this (laughs) captures a lot of that feeling okay and and for me I find it particularly sentimental because one of my best friends um that I made in first grade was um, someone new to the neighborhood who was a Jewish girl, and my mother just didn't even believe me that I had a Jewish friend. Is this the one that you talk about that her parents were sort of younger and very and exotic, and, her and she parents, wore like a bikini, like her mom wore a bikini? Yes, and it was all the <laughs> yes, and that's the, this is the same kind of situation where um, Mary Jane has an older, very conservative mother who is very like she wears a dress to the grocery store. Her hair is always just right. You know, she would never walk out of the house in flip-flops. That would never happen. Right. If she went to the pool, she would be wearing... If she were wearing bikini, it would be, I think, 1950s or mid-60s type bathing suit. Yeah. Um, she had... She says in here, she had never seen her mother's nipples. <laughs> but Mrs. Cohen's were all over the place. <laughs> and so... So... Um, it, yes. So I had a similar experience with different fl- families in my neighborhood because I grew up with an older mom um, who was very particular about how we were dressed and everything. And so, so yes, it brings back, it's nostalgic for me. Um, it's just a good story. There is action, but it's, um, it's all told from the point of view of this very sort of, just a, just a good kid. Yeah. So um, thoroughly enjoying it. Haven't finished it yet. Um, but there's a lot of fun. There's a lot of singing. There's a lot of riding around in station wagons without seatbelts, which I certainly did a ton of when I was little. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're looking, and it's, I think it's one of the first books I've read that have been particularly Gen Z based or Gen X based because most of books that talk about this era are all from the boomer point of view. And this is one of the first ones I've read that's from a, a Gen Z or close to it, uh, not Gen Z, Gen X point of view. Yeah. Um, that small little group of us, which I'm the beginning of and Melissa's the end of, mm-hmm. um, where we were the last ones, I think, to have this kind of freedom, but we were also right on the edge of of having, like some people had boomer parents and some people had older parents. Yeah. So, yeah. And you're yes. listening to that one? Is that I right? am listening to it, and the voices are great. Okay. Um, there is a little girl in there, Izzy, who's very cute, sometimes almost too cute, but mm-hmm. um, but she is she is a she works well in this story, and of course, there would be no story if she wasn't babysitting for Izzy. Well, sure, yeah. So okay. Mary Jane, um, 
I would recommend. It came out last week, I believe. Yeah, it just came and, out. And um, we actually have signed copies of it at the store. Yeah, I, I, I think I'm going to pick one up for my collection because okay. I'm enjoying it so Very much. Very good. Um, well, um, the one that I am listening to right now mm-hmm. on Libra FM is called The Sisters Grimm mm-hmm. by Mina von Prague. Um it's very British. Um, <laughs> you have been into the, is, is it murdery too? Um, yeah, actually a little bit. It's, um, it's fantasy and it actually just came out in paperback not that long ago. So it's been out for a little while. Um, and it's the first in a series. Um, and if anyone has ever seen the movie, um, Stardust or Red Stardust by Neil Gaiman. I love Stardust, um, yes. It has some elements of that in it. Mm-hmm. So it is um, told it's told as a countdown um, to the 18th birthday of five different characters. Mm-hmm. And four of them are um, young women um, so there's Goldie, who is um, trying to raise her younger brother, Teddy, who is, I think, maybe seven or eight. Um, and her mother has passed away. Mm-hmm. Well, um, it's a, and got a fairy tale theme, doesn't yes, it? Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, and so um, she is working as a maid in a hotel and basically kind of supplementing her income by stealing things from guests and she she's very clear that she only steals from people that have a lot of stuff and she only steals things that will probably be lost to you know carelessness anyway like so a little robin hoodie a little bit, yeah. So, so there's Goldie, and then there's Scarlet, and Scarlet um, lives with her grandmother, and they own a cafe. And her grandmother is starting to have dementia, um, and the cafe is not doing very well. There's a um, guy from Starbucks that's mm-hmm. trying to buy them out, basically, and she doesn't want to do that. But Scarlet is also um, shooting some fire from her fingers mm-hmm. and that's a yeah and then there's um b and b is a student at uh, the university and she's having an affair with one of her professors because her professor has access to like a glider airplane and she mm-hmm. loves to fly so she takes advantage of him in that she can use the glider and and fly um and Mm -hmm. then there's um leah and leah had um the plan to be a olympic swimmer and she injures herself um and so her olympic dream is basically um put on the back burner um Mm -hmm. and so um, she lives with her aunt because her mother has passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're all on the cusp of turning 18. Um, and at night, when they're asleep, they go into this other world called Everwhere. Mm-hmm. And they're actually sisters. They have the same father. And so they can do all these magical things in Everwhere. 
Interesting. Um, but the fifth character is a boy named Leo. Mm-hmm. And Leo is a star. Mm-hmm. Um, but he is also a soldier whose job is to kill the Grimm sisters um, and Grimm girls. So there's this ongoing war between the stars mm-hmm. and then the Grimm girls. And they fight in Everwhere. And Leo, as a star, can only go into Everwhere at a specific time when a specific portal is opened. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Is it easy to listen to? It is actually easy to listen to because the... Because there seems like they're, with all the different storylines going on... There's a lot going on, and it goes... Mm -hmm. So it does also go back and forth in time. So it's like there's (laughs) a chapter... Well, so each chapter is a day in the countdown of them going okay. to their 18th birthday. And so then it goes like at different, it's like, it starts, it's like 6:41 AM Goldie. And it does mm-hmm. a little thing with her. And then it goes through each of the characters okay. on a day. Okay. And then like, then there's chapters that are like over a decade ago. So it's like okay. when they were kids and gotcha. so, and the person who reads it does voices. Some of them are Mm -hmm. sort of weird because she's doing so many voices for so many characters and it's just the one narrator. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's interesting. Like I'm curious to see where it goes because there is so much going on and the, the world is kind of convoluted, but, Mm -hmm. um, but it, it really like when it first talked about Leo being a star, I was like, Oh, stardust (laughs) it's very much like that um but it's very cool okay interesting that sounds like something i would like yeah i'm about i want to say like 30 percent done with it i'm Mm -hmm. not that far into it but it's just kind of setting up um that leo is sort of actively stalking goldie oh dear (laughs) okay Mm -hmm. well for something completely different Mm -hmm. um the book i'm actually reading a hard copy of um, or an arc of right now um an advanced reader's copy Mm -hmm. um is the magician by column tabin um i don't know if any of you are familiar with him he uh writes well he's very prolific he He wrote brooklyn right he wrote brooklyn um, he wrote The Testament of Mary, which was the first one of his that I read. Mm-hmm. Um, he tends to uh, focus on one character and follow them through their trajectory, their arc. And recently, um, he's started writing about um, historical characters. I mean, Mary, The Testament of Mary was about Mary, mother of Jesus, who is a historical character of sorts, you could say. Um, but at any rate, The Magician is about Thomas Mann. And it starts uh, in his early years when he was growing up in his family. His father was very, very conservative. Um, his mother was Brazilian and very artistic and alluring and didn't fit well into their extremely conservative German town. Um, that is shocking. Yes. And so young... Thomas Mann kind of hides his artistic aspirations um, for the most part, and he um, his when his father passes away, the family receives sort of a shock that his father has basically just cast them off. They're like, "No, you can't have the house," and I've sold the business, 
and there's going to be someone in charge of all your finances. And um, who so gets the house? They sell it. They sell off everything, and then there's a set amount of money, and then there are lawyers that they have to report to. Interesting. Yeah. And so he doesn't trust any of them to run the business. He has two sons and then a third younger son, but none of them receive the business. Hmm. Um, so in a way, it sort of sets the, the mother moves um, and um, to a, a more southern town in Germany. She's Catholic. Um, her husband was very Protestant. And so she just goes and creates her own life, essentially. And um, Thomas grows up, and he um, he ends up he does have you know homosexual desires, but he shuts those off because this is back in the 1800s, and that was just not a life that you were going to live freely. Mm-hmm. And so he marries. He marries um, Katya in. Um, Munich, and they have six children, bunch of children. Um, and then, as we know, he goes on holiday in Italy one year and becomes infatuated with a, a boy that he is kind of observing closely. Um, but not, and, um, and he writes Death in Venice. Mm-hmm. And then he becomes famous. And so the book is just a beautiful um, fictionalized version because um, so it's not a straight up biography um, because there's dialogue and everything in it of Thomas Mann's life and um, Colin Tobin is just he's such a I I hesitate to use lyrical but his writing his prose is just beautiful I mean if any of you have seen Brooklyn the movie or read any of his books he's just he's a very literary writer um, Mm -hmm. but it's just beautiful to read. I'm, I'm thoroughly enjoying it. And it's a book you really want to take your time going through. So it's not, uh, you know, a not real a page read. turner. And it's kind of nice because I've been reading a lot of quick <laughs> page turners. It's not it quite as murdery as Ruth Ware's. Yeah, been. there seems to be, yeah, there's there's <laughs> not as much putting everybody in a small room and making them fight it out, essentially. Yeah. Um, so when does this one come out? This comes out on September 23rd. Okay. And I'm looking forward to it being in the store. He always does well. He's been shortlisted for the Booker Prize. You know, he's written plays, fiction, nonfiction. Um, so yes, I would. Um, if you're if you're into Colm Tobin, he's got a new one coming out, <laughs> which is very exciting. Um, or if he, you're into Thomas Mann, or if you're into Thomas Mann, yeah, either one. Um, I think this is for you. It's uh, it's just a beautiful, well done historical literary fictionalized biography (laughs) how about that (laughs) how about that how about that (laughs) all right well and again for something completely completely different different. um the book that i'm reading right now like actually like physically reading um is mistborn by brandon sanderson um and it's for our sci-fi and fantasy book club and I, I so wanted to read this one, but the time, it has slipped away. Yeah, um, it's not a short book, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, okay, I am late to the Brandon Sanderson game. This is the first book that I've read by him. Um, so the the idea behind this, um, there is um, a man called um, Kelsier, and mm-hmm. he is... Um, putting together a group of people with the idea of overthrowing the government um, 
in Luthadel, which is um, the the city that they live in, and the man who's in charge, the Lord Emperor or the Lord Ruler, is not only like the the ruler, but the, he's also supposed to be kind of the living embodiment of God. So he's that's, that's a so it's a it's a that's um, a tough role. It is yes, and it's um. It's kind of a big thing to, to say that we're going to overthrow this government. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's doing this because they um, there's a group of people, and they're called the Ska, and basically they are kept as slaves, and they are... So he's leading this kind of Ska rebellion mm-hmm. to overthrow um, the government. And he's got a... Um, uh, his, his name is Yedin, who is one of the Ska, who mm-hmm. is asking him to help him do this. So Kelsier is what is called a Mistborn. And a Mistborn is someone who practices allomancy. Mm-hmm. And allomancy is the ability to um, ingest metals and then use them to do things so there are basically eight medals of allomancy and Mm -hmm. each one of them does something different what kind of things so um there's so each each medal has sort of its um its opposite so they they call them pushing and pulling so Mm -hmm. one will push and one will pull so there's four different kind of sets of things and each metal like two medals that work opposite Mm -hmm. of each other so um they can literally um push and pull and sort of um have things fly at you like literally move things pushing and pulling or there's like soothing and in um soothing or sort of riling up emotions Mm -hmm. um there's one that can when you burn it then that's what they call kind of like invoking the metal like Mm -hmm. you ingest it and then you like burn it okay um so when you're burning like copper i think it is um you no one will know that you're using allomancy Mm -hmm. um or there's one that will um like free you from other people's use of allomancy on you. Okay, so it's like magic, but you have to have fuel for magic. Right, and, and only... it's very specific magic. It's very specific, and it's very rare to be a misborn, which is someone mm-hmm. who can use all of the metals. Okay. There are people who are mislings who mm-hmm. can do one thing, and mm-hmm. they have, like, a specialty. Um, and so... In this group of people that he's assembled is almost like an Ocean's Eleven sort of okay. group of people doing this heist. Mm-hmm. Um, now I've got the music going in my head. Yeah. All right. um, but so he's got like one guy specifically who is good at um, in tight or like invoking people's emotions. So mm-hmm. that's his specialty, and that's what they're using him specifically for. Um, but in his putting together this group of people, he's discovered another Mistborn um, who is Vin. And Vin is um, a 16-year-old girl who's always mm-hmm. been kind of a part of, like, a gang of thieves. And when he finds her, 
it's because um, she's attached to this gang of thieves working off a debt that her older brother has basically left her there to work off for oh, him. Nice. Like he's run off and she's basically there to, mm-hmm. to, uh, to pay off his debt. And she's never been treated well. She always just kind of tries to stay in the background and never catch anybody's mm-hmm. eye. But she always knew that she, she calls it luck. So mm-hmm. she, she knew that she could mess with people's emotions and sort of soothe them or get them to kind of do Forbidding. what she, yeah. yeah, what she wanted them to do. So that was kind of her job in the thief gang was doing that. Mm-hmm. But then it, it comes out that she can actually do all the other things too. So she's a misborn as well. Okay. Um, and so Kelsier is both leading this gang and trying to recruit Ska for this army um, and also trying to figure out all the other parts of this. Like they have to get rid of the garrison that's in the city and make mm-hmm. them go somewhere else. So there's not an army that's going to be fighting them. There's these um, inquisitors that are creepy as hell that have like um things through their eyes who can sense like allomancy and know when it's being used Mm -hmm. so they have to do something to get them out of the way um so he's doing all of that and he's also training bin to use her her um misborn powers as Mm -hmm. well so it's really fun the world building in this is excellent. Um, one of my big complaints with a lot of fantasy books or um, like sci-fi where there's kind of um, a lot of world building is mm-hmm. that it's not worked into the story. It's right. like lots of info dumps. Right. That's not how this one is. This is very well integrated so into the story. It's actually quite brilliant. <laughs> He is and has been one of my children's favorite authors. And so I've known about him for a long time and I've always wanted to sort of jump in and I've read bits and pieces just to sort of make sure it was appropriate for them after my Game of Thrones episode. <laughs> um, so, um, so, you know, for a while there, I was very careful to read at least, you know, three to four chapters in of each book and, mm-hmm. and, um, so I'm intrigued by him. We met him at, um, did, were you with me? He was at, um, I stood in line to get books signed. No, I know that you, at, at, no, that was at um, Book Expo. Yeah. It was the, the one where you had to have like a ticket. To yes, play. so I got so, a yeah. ticket to meet him and I was shocked that there weren't more people in this line because the way, you know, my family loved him when um, all, all three of my children, I thought there would be a line out the door. Yeah. But apparently we're not all that nerdy. And um, so I got to speak with him and he's very chatty and completely approachable. We're about the same age. He has a dyslexic son, just like my dyslexic boys. So we, we got on very well and had really, he's just like the nicest guy. Well, and I was reading his bio and he's from Utah and is a teacher at Brigham Young. So I'm assuming he's Mormon. So he's like sort of like Orson Scott card, like the Mormon sort of sci-fi fantasy writers. Like that's a thing. And yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing to me. He, yeah, he just, to meet him, he's just like, you know, if you were standing in line next to him, and that's the beauty of authors, too, because people don't always look at their picture, and there's not often a current picture on their books. Yeah. You don't know. I mean, he's just, 
he's just the nicest guy. Yeah. So um, so I'm I'm thoroughly enjoying it. Um, this one was actually Tim's pick, my husband's pick, because mm-hmm. he was whining about when do I get to pick books for the Sci-Fi Book yes. Club. So this was his pick, and he very did, good. He did well. Very <laughs> good. I know. I'm. Um, I think it might be a good one to listen to. That's what how he's he's yeah, listening to I've it. Yeah, I listen to it when um I'm going on the big drive. It is up. a very long audiobook. It's well, like, we've got eighteen hours, so well, it's like uh, it's over twenty four hours long. Well, that'll take us up there and a little bit back. Yeah. So um and I think the last thing we have um yes. for Tequila Mockingbird um Jessica and I both read The Sun Also Rises by Ernest Hemingway. Yes, um, and um. I sadly missed the meeting because apparently I was the only one who really likes this book. Um, no, I don't think that's I don't think that's necessarily true. I think that um, there were people that in, appreciated it. Yeah, but I think we all had a lot of the same complaints about it, um, which were a lot of the same complaints that we had about like Tender as the Night when we read it. Um, yeah, I I tend to. I'm, I think this holds up a little better than Tinder in the Night only because I think what he's trying to convey is the hopelessness of the lost generation after the First World War and, you know, just completely undiagnosed PTSD that a lot of his characters are going through where there's they're just they're just nihilistic alcoholics for the most part. Yes, that's true, but I think the main complaint that we had as a group about it is that, and it's the same complaint that like we, when we were talking about, we were talking about kind of the same idea in like the great Gatsby and as well as in tender as the night that the romantic Mm -hmm. relationships and even the friend relationships in it are not developed at all. Like because it, it, they don't seem to have any well i don't i i think in this book in particular they don't they're not i mean it's all superficial everything in their life is superficial yes but you're supposed to believe that um he's in love with brett and brett's in love with him and it's this tortured love story because they can't be together i'm gonna put up air quotes of in love because i don't I don't look at them as like two people who are in love that want to run off and have a family together. I think they're both so damaged by the time we meet them. I think they're two people that don't even really like each other. Um, I think they, I, I wouldn't say that. I think they like each other. I just think they're both two extremely damaged people by the time we meet them and they don't have any good relationships. Like, yeah, no, I agree, but I, but I don't, I don't, I don't think that they Well, we, we never meet them before the war. No, I know. Be, well, they don't meet until the right, war. Right, the war. And um, so but I don't think that, like, I don't think they actually even like each other. If you listen to the way that they, they talk. talk about each other, mm-hmm. they don't, none of them care no. anything about the rest of them. No, until they've had five or six drinks, and then they're, and, and by five or six, I mean. Like five or six absence. And. <laughs> Two bottles of wine, yeah. which are the bottles. Two bot. Don't you take two bottles of wine fishing when you go? Uh, well, I would have to because I hate <laughs> fishing. <laughs> uh, well, so I like Hemingway's writing, and I like the way he describes everything that's going on around him. 
the scenery, the fishing, the way the food tastes. Um, I think, honestly, that was the only part of the book that we, honest, like, as a group, enjoyed is the fish. And it didn't seem to really fit with the rest of the book. It was this sort of offshoot that, well, I mean, I think that the little day trips and the, the like, I think his friend who comes over from the United States even though they have this sort of bombastic banter through a lot of the book, I think they are actually more friends than he is with anybody else in his expatriate group that he hangs out with. Yeah, I I don't like his friend. Well, I'm not fond of his friend, but I think that they are actually more friends. And then... Well, and I, I was really uncomfortable with the like scapegoating of the one character um what's his name was it robert the one that's the boxer that it starts out talking about him and like they robert cohen and so in this yeah these you know so i don't know whether anybody did the deep dive into the recent hemingway um hemingway um documentary that was on pbs and it was a three-part documentary um that ken burns did and he talks about these people that the book was based on and how Hemingway had hung out with them and how, you know, upsetting it was to them when they read this book. Well, and I, I mean, that and these were essentially very, not very loosely based, but very much based on a group of people that were expats that well, hung out and there. And that's the thing, like, and that's why in my mind I connected it with Tender as Night because mm-hmm. Tender as Night. He, that's a lot of autobiographical crap about his relationship with his wife. And again, not, (laughs) not flattering, not flattering. So yeah, it's just, I don't know. I would, again, as I've said before, and we've talked about, um, for whom the bell tolls is my favorite of Hemingway's books, because I feel like it's one of the only ones where there is a more loving, sort of relationship i mean uh, I, even um though it ends if you haven't read it i don't want to spoil it yeah, for you but it. um it's that book to me is sort of less problematic i love a movable feast but there are problems with it i mean it's it's sort of a romanticized imagined biography of his time living in paris and um in the end he is totally let off the hook for leaving his first wife which i think was the only wife he really loved out of all of them um so um it was interesting because i i had read this before um this was not my first time reading it mm-hmm. um but i read yeah. it like 20 years ago probably um but when we reread the old man in the sea for this book club i very much appreciated mm-hmm. it more reading it um this time and i yeah as did i i, sh- I this out. one i did i still did not like it like this i i just did not care for it um i think i so for two reasons one is just sentimental when i was reading these for the first time i was in high school and it was really the first time i'd encountered literature that spoke to me in some way at all and um that's interesting because like the first time for me reading it like i was in my i was this one i actually read for school mm-hmm. um and 
I just did not care for it then. So it was my senior year in high school, and I read this for whom a bell tolls and a movable feast. I had read um, The Old Man in the Sea earlier and had not cared for it. Yeah, at I all. had to read that in like Which eighth or ninth why, grade. Why on earth do you give that book to an eighth or ninth grader? Because they have no life no. experience to understand it. But at any rate, that's <laughs> another subject. So I um, was just kind of had a thing for the lost generation in Kerouac and it was just a phase in my life which was sort of a the first time I had met a group of people who really loved to read yeah and prior to that I hadn't had any friends growing up who were big readers I mean everybody just thought I was crazy and they would leave me alone in the corner with my book and Maybe I had been crazy, but not because I like to read books. Yeah, I mean, then yeah, the two don't so are not necessarily like, separate. Books about the magical two friends who have read books together their whole lives. I just I never had that friend growing. Yeah, I up. never had that friend either. Like I, some of my friends read, but not not yeah. unless they had to. Um, for the most part, I had one friend who had this beautiful library of books that her parents would buy her, and she hated to read. And I was so envious of those books, and I would borrow them, and I'd think, why don't they give them to me? Because she's not reading them at all. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so this was the first group of people I encountered who wanted to talk about books and ideas. And so I think I've romanticized it in my mind a little bit. Um, but going back and reading it now, I, so I was in this part of Spain, and I read it when I was there, and I enjoyed it again because of the scenery, not so much for the people. Um, and I would say this time reading it, I enjoyed it for the scenery. And I think for the first time, I really recognized how awful these people were. Yeah. Um, which, you know, so I think it has value. I'm not sad I read it. Um, oh, would, I'm not saying yeah. it doesn't have value. I'm just saying I... Yeah, they're I, horrible people. Yeah, they're horrible people. The relationships are non-existent. Like, it's yeah, just it's all based on alcohol and money and being an expatriate and just living sort of an aimless life. Well, and a lot of and I know there's a you know like it's gonna it's a novel of its time, but mm -hmm. even the terminology that's being used in it, lots of times even at the time that it was being written, that was not an appropriate well, word to use. it was written use. in 1926. And, um, well, and you can see um, and, and there, a lot of what's coming with the Second World War and a lot of what's yeah. happening in Europe and a lot of the... So there, there are, yeah. I, it's, um, there's certainly, so for a book club, there's certainly a lot to talk about with this. No, yeah, there was a lot to discuss. Um, and for a book club that's interested in reading, it's, so one thing I really love about our Tequila Mockingbird book group is that we go back and read all of these things that we were either supposed to read in high school and didn't, or college, and then um, or read when we were too young to understand them. Or things that are considered classics and for some reason have never read. Yeah, um, so going back through this sort of canon, I really enjoy it. Um, I think there's a lot of value in that if you um, are looking to start a book group maybe and want ideas. Um, but yes, The Sun Also Rises by Hemingway is a, a classic. It's a beautifully written book. Um, 
and um, it's problematic in many ways. I would say parts of it are beautifully written. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it depends on whether, you know, waxing poetic about bullfighting is... Yeah, I'm, I'm never going to really... Well, I don't even... Like, I don't feel like there was a lot of... <laughs> as, as one of the people in our book club said, it wasn't really waxing poetic about bullfighting. It was mansplaining about, about bullfighting. bullfighting. <laughs> okay, mansplaining. <laughs> Hemingway was the ultimate in mansplaining. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, again, when we were talking about... I forget. Maybe it was you and me... Hemingway is someone that it might have been fun to go out and have a drink with him one night in passing because I'm sure he was a great storyteller and very charismatic, but that's about all the time I really want to spend. I feel like he probably would have made my eyes roll back so (laughs) hard in my head. I would have probably, depending on my age, you know, it depends on where you are in life. I either looked at him sort of doe-eyed or um, run screaming in the opposite direction. Yeah. Or maybe both in the same night. <laughs> it's entirely possible. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, so. I, th- I think that's all we have for you this time. Um, yeah. But it's been fun. It has been fun. Yes. Um, and we continue to be busy at the store. And um, there are lots of new books that have come out in the past couple weeks. It's been mega book release um, and will continue to be so. Yes, there are a lot of exciting books coming out. Melissa and I have been going through the fall catalogs and also um, listening to a lot of, they're doing a lot of virtual rep picks. And so I've heard about a lot of things I'm interested in and I'm excited because Mary Roach has a new book coming out that's called awesome fuzz (laughs) um and yeah there's just a lot coming out that's going to be fun so hopefully we'll be able to kind of do our um our rep thing again and get some reps on here to talk about their fall list because the fall list there are just so many books coming yes. out and um, i think we'll we'll start doing that a little more towards the fall because mm-hmm. i think our reps are overwhelmed with trying to get all their appointments for the fall list right now <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely so maybe in a in a couple months we can yeah. we start in on that but anyway um we will be back in a couple of weeks yes um i'm going on the road for a minute so if we um it may slightly alter our schedule but just by a few days Yes, Jessica has to go retrieve her child. Yes, <laughs> got to go fetch. So. <laughs> All right, well, we will be back. Um, in the meantime, read books. Yes, and be well. All right, bye. Bye. <laughs>